Hashtag sorry, not sorry, but welcome back to season three. Yeah, with a dwellers below, dwellers G'day and welcome back to the dwellers below. We're back at your back with the podcast. We're a bunch of old Warhammer players who haven't played the old world. Tell you, the watcher or listener, how to play the old world. I'm Nick, the father of lies. I'm joined with uh, a mix of the old cast members and uh, Danny Paints, the hashtag the new Nick Gentilly, who still hasn't reappeared from his exile. Uh, Danny Paints, how the hell are you? What have you been up to? I'm good. I'm good. I've been uh, wildly bustling through and reading my very official um, and uh, legal and completely uh, fine copy of the rules. that I didn't acquire in suspicious circumstances in any way, shape or form. Uh, so that's been really exciting, having a look at the rules and seeing what stuff does properly and not looking at potato picks. And also I've been doing, uh, as the name might suggest, much painting this, this which you can you'll be able to see everyone on the podcast listening. That's great audio for you. That's me. Yeah. Keen. How much, list e- to share. how much easier on the eyes is not looking at those potato potato quality photos from Mad Reds Oh my book. god, it's incredible. It's incredible. Not squinting and, and like guessing every third word. Very exciting. Very exciting. So yeah, just uh, just dipping my toes in. The uh, not reading the, the Man Red book stuff is a luxury that our other two guests uh, have had for a little while because they actually have physical copies of the books because they're in the UK, not like us plebeian Australians. Uh, Mr. Egg, what have you been doing other than uh, reading through your tome? Uh, just cackling wildly about the seven years it takes to ship things to Australia for a release that hasn't been five years in the planning. Um, I, I have done some very special uh, stealth hobby. Uh, I went to a local golf course to get some modelling sand for one of the sand bunkers. And uh, that's going to go really nicely on my bases. I know for tournaments, we're going to have to have official Citadel modeling sand, uh, but hopefully for tabletop games and uh, yeah, just down at the club, it'll be all right to uh, use you know, this uh, non-official sand on some bases. Do check with your opponent, I would say. Oh yeah, obviously if they have a problem with that, I'll uh, re- replace it with some, uh, some yeah, proper yeah, ones. But yeah, I think the grading on this sand is just going to be the real kick that these models need. Mm. I guess I guess in Australia we would just go down to the beach and get some like beach sand. But if you do that in the UK, you just get a huge <laughs> pile of giant rocks, right? I, I mean, there are some sandy beaches here, but uh, yeah, I didn't really want to get on a bus for four hours to uh, to head down to somewhere where I could get some. I think on like uh, the Isle of Lewis and Harris, there's uh, some decent sand over in uh, the Hebrides. Oh dear. Dave War, also in the UK. Any beaches near where you live? I live in Sheffield, which is about in the middle of the country from the both directions. So no, there's absolutely no beaches. But there are a few towns in the Peak District that have made themselves up to look like beach towns, despite the fact that there is no beaches within a two-hour drive. So you can get the English experience of being wet and eating soggy chips. Do they at least have some kind of beach that you can steal sand from to, to, to model your, your, your bases? Or I think I'm instead just going to creep out to kids' sand pits in the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> 
I was also, gonna ask what you've been up to, but I think I just won't. <laughs> I, I object to the the term stealing here. Like this is a Nottingham based games company. We are robbing from the rich and giving to the poor here. And I do live right next to Loxley, where Robin Hood actually came from. So it would be part of my culture to, you know, steal from Games Workshop. <laughs> they are rich. I don't know if anyone's looked at their profit and loss recently. They are swimming in money. <laughs> Yeesh. Maybe they could right. use some of it to print more books. Yeah. Or release things on time <laughs> in Australia. Could use a new website, actually. Guys, could... we're all going to give them all our money anyway. It doesn't matter what they do. Yeah, sure. I mean, that is the sad reality. They don't have to do things right. They just have to do them because we will just give them all our money and their things will sell out regardless. Uh, we never learn, do we? All right, we're not here to talk about macroeconomics, microeconomics, all games workshops, profit and loss. We're here to talk about the old world. We're here to talk about army lists and what excites us because... We only got the books, like, yesterday, and every, every every other content creator's spent two weeks reading them, and we haven't. So what can we talk about that's in the book that no one else has talked about? Absolutely nothing. Well, hang on, though, because I've seen a lot of battle, rep, uh, battle reports on YouTube, and I don't think the content creators have spent two weeks actually reading the books. <laughs> <laughs> that's a different game every single report. There is... Uh, wow. I hope the army list that you're going to talk about today is bang on correct. Correct? Well, <laughs> well you'll have to wait and see. <laughs> I, I think so, to yeah, be what, fair as well... Sorry, go Chris. Yeah, go just, Chris. just like to be fully fair with that, I think there's a lot of things that are going to trip us up when we start playing as well. Things that seem intuitive from years of playing other editions of Warhammer Fantasy uh, that are different here. Like I, only no I only noticed the other day impact hits. You only get them if you move over three inches, I think. So if you're right in front of a chariot, no impact hits there. Uh, that's not something I would have realized until seeing someone on a battle report, Danny, uh, pointed out when they tried to uh, charge a chariot. Uh, but Chris, you're assuming that uh, everyone has the intelligence and uh, memory retention of rules that you do. It's a blank slate every time for me, so we're, we're, we're Gucci. <laughs> well, what's more difficult? Is it more difficult to re re like learn the rules set from zero or to like cram it into a brain that has six ed, eight ed, and a bunch of other game systems in it it's a good question couldn't tell you blank slate I'm, baby <laughs> I, I suspect it's easier if you've played before the I don't know if you've sat yeah. down and tried to read the rule book uh, so far but even knowing Warhammer and reading for a job it's a formidable tome yes there are some pretty pictures though yeah I think I think I said this in one of the previous episodes. They do really nice books at GW. Although, although modern GW, I do have to say, not a fan of the digital art. I know it's cheaper. I know it's much easier to produce. And I know it's almost the same thing, but like, get some artists with like pencils and paints again, guys. Just Come be thankful on. it's not AI. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, the day, the day will come. I mean, they're already like de-identifying all their, uh, their artists, right? So, yeah. What's the next step? Not having artists at all. <laughs> hey. All right. We're here to talk about lists today. So we thought, what we've, we're excited. We've been 
frantically reading rules. A few of us have started writing lists. One of us has even played a game. So that's completely thrown my intro out the water because one of us has played a game. But what can I do? We it, it only happened today. It was unexpected. Would we have liked to be playing games? Yes. Has the game been released? No. Sads. Are you even allowed on the dwellers if you know what you're talking about? No. <laughs> not in the not in the AOS version, sir. So. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to talk about lists, and just we wanted to get you know talk to you about things that excited us. Like, are these going to be tuned tournament lists? I mean, maybe, but probably not. These are our sort of first takes. What has stood out for us? What what spicy things do we want to put on the table the first time we play? So. I'm going to throw to Dave a war. Dave is the man who has played a game of the old world. That is better than the other eight members of our cast. Um, so he can take us through... I mean, take us through your first impressions of the game, firstly, but then take us through this list that you've cooked up. Uh, it's a little bit spicy. Yeah, so I had a game yesterday with... Uh my mate James from my local gaming group, and we were both using my armies. We used my Empire and Wood Elves, both of which uh, were not as preposterous as the list I've proposed for today. Um, but it was really good. I think the game has a lot of subtle differences that we missed some of. Um, for example, that when you panic, if you've got more than half of your unit, you only move back a maximum of six inches and then automatically rally. Um, so small bits of the game that we were getting wrong but I think the good thing is it felt like playing Warhammer you know it felt like playing Warhammer Fantasy again there was ranks there was flanks there was combat resolution there was long discussions about whether someone could move somewhere because of wheeling arcs it it <laughs> felt like the authentic experience um, so yeah no it was really good I think the the lower lethality of the game from most units was really felt as well that that Units not getting to strike back when they've lost models, only getting to fight in one rank. Spells being actually very difficult to line up because of the ranges on them um, and the way that movement works, I think, was all... Yeah, it was good. It was, was really sound. Uh, maybe I'll jump into my list then and, and tell everyone about how to lose friends and uh, destroy anyone's interest in Warhammer the Old World. <laughs> What a good place to start. And I mean, look, if you don't know Dave from the previous, uh, well, not the previous, the, the initial version of the podcast, that was basically his MO. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I thought, let's go, let's go back to my roots. Let's go back to playing Warhammer in a way that the opponent really doesn't get to play. Uh, and what can I do <laughs> to deny them an opportunity to participate in the game as much as absolute possible? So... In that theme, first of all, we have a what I think might become a bit ubiquitous within the tournament scene, a high-level lord on a dragon. In this instance, it is a glade lord on a forest dragon. Um, we are rocking for the, for, for the forest dragon lord a few spicy things here. So the first one is Mercy's Locus. Um, Mercy's local, Locus means that the forest lord can't increase his strength by any amount from a weapon but also no unit attacking him can increase their strength by any amount from a weapon so if you charge uh, into a unit with 
great weapons, for example, or halberds, or all of that other bullshit, they're attacking you at base strength. Um, and because that's not very great on a lord on foot, but when you're actually attacking a forest dragon, uh, that's going to mean he's going to be very difficult to chip down. Um, I've then given him what I'm not sure is the good choice, but I'm, I'm, I've been tossing it up, is the giant blade. He won't get the plus one strength from that, but the multi-wounds too feels like it's very strong um, on a character that has really high weapon skill uh, and, and four attacks coming in on the charge. Then he's got Talisman of Protection for a four, uh, five up invulnerable and um, two, two really lovely forest spirits. The forest spirits are really good for the Wood Elves uh, in this new edition after being a bit a bit naff for a few editions. So first of all, he has an old favorite, the Annoyance of Netlings, um, which is minus one to hit against him in a challenge. Uh, and then... I mean, to, that's, that's, that's not as bad as it was. It's not just <laughs> sixes now, thing. no. Yeah. <laughs> that thing was so, so annoying. Um, he also then has a Lamentation of Despairs, which is minus one leadership to everyone within six inches of him for fear, panic, or terror checks. Um, so your likelihood of passing your terror check in particular is significantly reduced with the minus one leadership. He's then minus one to hit and challenges. You can't buff your strength again against him. He's a dragon, so he's, he's flying around being a bit of a nightmare. Um, this is the thing that's really going to do damage in the list, and then everything else is intended basically to not engage with the opponent. So that we've then got a Glade Captain with Battle Standard Bearer uh, and the Bow of Lauren, and Arcane Bodkin, so three attacks at AP2. A Spell Singer with the Oaken Staff, which is you get to um, roll an additional dice near a wood for Dispel attempts, uh, and High Magic, try and cast Dispel Magic. Um, the list then has just shitloads of Deepwood Scouts. I think it's like six units of Deepwood Scouts, all of which have Fire and Flee, which means if you charge them, they get to both stand and shoot and run away from you um, just to really deny any of that interactivity uh, a unit of glade riders uh, and then a tree man at the end just to with also with lamentations of despair for another minus one to your leadership and against terror fear and panic uh, so the list is two threatening monsters a million shots moving in every direction shooting you while it runs away this is horrible <laughs> yeah yeah this yeah. sucks <laughs> like yeah, I think I said I said to a list you're excited about not that would make everyone else want to not play ever so that is exciting I'm not to gonna, Dave <laughs> I'm not going to be playing this against my local gaming group because we're not a very competitive group and people need to be you know seduced into the square base experience but I think this is pretty exciting as, as far as lists go. Uh, Dave, just on a completely unrelated note, uh, between the ages of five to sort of 13, how many sandcastles do you think you kicked over? Everyone I could see. There's everyone within the... <laughs> the other thing Dave's there... love we, of siege we, themes comes from is uh, kicking over sandcastles. I love a siege theme list. This is, yeah, definitely... The Siege of uh, Empire Fort number three, I think, is the is the theme for this one. 
Um, also, I'm not sure if people have clocked this or not, but um, the battle standard bearer allows you to re-roll panic, rally, or break checks, not fear and terror checks. Um, so those minus one leadership terror checks are coming at you with no re-roll. Can't, can't it be minus two? It, I, I think in the yeah, rule book like it says that it. a lot of things stack. Yes, yeah, it can. Yeah, like I love the, the lamentation of despairs there. I've been looking at doing very similar things. Uh, there's a, a very similar ability with one of the chaos gifts. Yeah. That does, I think, pretty much exactly the same thing. And I've also been playing with Tomb King lists with two Screaming Skull Catapults. And the Skull Catapults, and while Catapults I don't think are what they used to be, the Skulls of the Foe is like wherever the template ends up, you roll 2d6 and every unit within uh, that range is neg one leadership for the turn. So Pretty wild. Yeah, it's like there's a lot of these leadership debuffs and I don't know if anyone in 8th ed ever played against the demons with the neg 2 leadership banner at the start of 8th ed before the new 8th ed demon book came out but that thing, like neg 2 leadership I think it was neg 2 leadership everything within 12 inches or 6 inches or something like that that thing was insane yeah, I didn't play against it but I certainly played with it and <laughs> yeah, uh, played, people played did not appreciate it, it. <laughs> that shocks me not at all yeah. You also had the Dave, Doom and Darkness Hell Cannon um, combination for minus three panic checks on turn one uh, in in the previous edition. So I think this will be in that in that vibe. Dave, on your list with the Fire and Flea rule, have you used Fire and Flea at all in games and stuff, or or have you um, done any maths on it in terms of like the likelihood of being caught and just run down yes. because you're fleeing, right? And so if you get caught, you're screwed. Yes, I have. So I've I we use Fire and Flea quite a lot for the wood elves in the game that we played yesterday cool. um so fire and flea is not a full flea it's a d6 you should roll 2d6 and choose the highest um right. rather than, than 2d6 plus your movement or just d6 no just just d6 right um so you need to decide when you want to use it but i would say from the game we played yesterday very fast cavalry units have quite long spiky charge ranges but everything yeah. else, everything else doesn't really, um, and yeah, right. with especially with the amount of forest you get on the board as wood elves, you're putting down a twelve-inch forest with wood elves at the at the start of the game. Then you can also cast tree sing to put down another five-inch forest. Plus, there's probably another forest on the table. They're getting minuses yep. to their charges to get into you. You can charge out of their line of sight and behind things. So you can also fire and flee by putting yourself in front of stuff that you can pop through to get out of their range. Um, so it's not it's not a totally safe interaction. But I would say that the Deepwood Scout units, they're, they're, except for one big one that has um, a bit more efficiency, they're 90 points a pop. There's six-man units with 90 yeah. points. <laughs> yeah. So if your big cavalry bus does catch one of my fire and flee units, I'm not that upset about it, and I probably have a yeah. dragon or a tree man waiting to countercharge you, um, which most of those fast units who can't then use any strength bonuses against the dragon yeah. probably don't want to do. A yeah. couple of interesting choices here. 
True Flight Arrows. I've seen a lot of people talking about Arcane Bodkins. True Flight's obviously were a ubiquitous choice in 8th edition with the, uh, the line of sight rules that we were using back then. What's the what's the thinking there? I think the, uh, the arrows are really... I'm not sure about which ones to go. So I played against Empire yesterday. I was, I was using my Wood Elves and the Arcane Bodkins were fantastic because I was shooting against Empire Cavalry who for them are getting a, a you know two up or three up save three up save in this instance and you just tear through the unit but true flights ignore cover which you're going to be giving the enemy a lot of with wood elves because you've been putting forests out and things like that they also don't have the usual minus one for moving and shooting which you're always going to want to do with deep wood scouts you're moving every turn um basically and importantly, you can use a stand and shoot reaction no matter how close the enemy is, even if they're within their base movement um, with the true flights. So I think there is a question there. I think hagbanes look quite good as well. Um, I think for bigger units that have buffing and might want to stand still, the quick fire also has a bit of use. Quick fire on the way watchers seem really good as well. But I think true flights with lots of the units of six, to me, make sense because you are moving around the table a lot. They're probably going to have cover. You're probably going to want to be in long range a lot. And suddenly you, you're hitting on sixes. And yep. the Arcane Bodkins do do some damage. But if your unit of six is hitting on sixes, you do 0.5 of a wound against a cavalry unit, which will then save one in three of those. So three of your units of, of Deepwood Scouts will, will clear out like one night. Um, so the True Flights, I think, work out there. Also, people don't have as good armor saves on the whole in this in this edition it's pretty yeah, hard yeah. to get a two up and no one's getting a one up so i think the true flights are good more chance to roll your sixes to wound for armor bane to just tear through stuff anyway for me that's why i quite like hagbane tips like the same rationale but rather than uh get more hits just all of your hits are just going to be straight wounds with the poison attacks but i think yeah. it's really cool that uh, there's a lot of options that all might be good and maybe you end up with really techy armies where you have you know, three units with one type of arrows another couple of units with another and there'll be a lot of... Uh, you can change the dynamic of the army just by changing the upgrades you don't have to paint whole new sets of models Yeah, I'll yeah definitely so, so how are you setting this up? Talk us through... Don't talk us through the whole game, but talk us through the deployment. Like, what are you trying to do in a deployment? Do do the Deepwood Scouts all have Scout as a base rule? Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to confirm, but I'm pretty sure they do all have Scout as a as a base rule. So Deepwood Scouts have Skirmishers, Scout. They've they've got the Fire and Fleas um, and Move Through Cover as well, which basically the whole Wood Elf Army does. So how are you deploying this? Well, you're deploying a Tree Man and a Dragon behind Cover. You're then deploying your one block of glade guard behind a forest so it can't be seen by the enemy but with enough movement for you to step into the forest and be able to be seen and then you're deploying everything basically reactively to the enemy down the table and being a real pain but i think you want the dragon and the tree man tree men are not fast you want them fairly central you want them probably going together so that if anything threatens that actually can threaten one of them exceedingly unlikely that they're going to threaten both of them but because the scouts all deploy after the enemy's deployed you you actually are deploying like three units um before the enemy deploys their whole army and then you deploy the rest of your scouts 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Chris, you're a pretty experienced player. That's why I'm not throwing to Danny. What would you do against this kind of list? If you see this on the other side of the table, what are you thinking? And obviously it's going to depend on what you're using, but at a base level, like what are you trying to achieve against this sort of list? I think it's going to depend on what you're playing. I like, There are some things that are just going to be really annoying for Dave's list to try and deal with. The immediate things that spring to mind are random movers where you can't flee and do shenanigans. You just have to take it. Uh, also, just having lots of big units could be a bit of a problem as well. Like The dragon and the tree man can jump on a unit together pretty well, but if they're isolated fighting one monster against one block with full combat resolution... Uh, if they lose, they're probably not going to have the option of falling back in good order. Uh, yeah, because they're going to be outnumbered two to one. So having lots of static combat resolution can be really good uh, because those scouts are not set up to do like maximum damage. They're set up to deny victory points. Uh, so you're not going to be able to easily churn through huge numbers of models with the shooting. It's just going to be really hard to actually stop Dave from shooting, at least in my head. Uh, the one other thing that always, always hurts lightly armoured skirmishes is going to be magic missiles. I imagine if you've got two or three mages that can take a blue fire or whatever the demonology signature spell is, uh, that's going to be a bit of a problem for Dave, especially if they've got some good casting buffs. It's going to be really hard for uh, the Wood Elf magic defence to stop that from uh, picking up points in return. I would say with the dragon, for you to double its combat res, you need to have 18 models, which is not impossible for a unit to have after the dragon and the lord attacks, but I'm not sure we're going to see that many units of 25 models, um, or, you know, 10 plus, you probably need like 12 cavalry to survive a round of attacks from the dragon and the lord to do it. The tree man is a bit more vulnerable, but the tree man also has stubborn so he's not going to run at least the first time he breaks he's just going to automatically pass um and give ground so that i think you're right that especially the random movers would be a hassle and there are some particularly quick things you know if the army was if i was facing a msu army that itself was very fast or multiple medium units that was all cavalry that would not be a great time i i think for the army All right, let's change tack a little bit. We're going to jump over to Dave's list. <laughs> you mean you mean polar opposites. So if Dave designed a list to not play anything resembling Warhammer, uh, I've, I've designed a list to play classic Warhammer. Inspired, in fact, by if you're an Empire aficionado or you've ever been on the um, uh, Warhammer-Empire forums which no one under the age of like 50 has ever seen. <laughs> uh, they are still alive. And For our new a... listeners, a, a forum is, is like Discord, but, but <laughs> like worse, but, but probably better, like a, a bit less spammy, but like, yeah. Uh, Warhammer Empire forums were classic. I wouldn't surprise me if they were still going. They absolutely are. I've got a, uh, I've got a post in the painting one that I'm logging my empire painting with, and there's all these like old blokes giving me props on it. It's great. I love it. All right, take us through your list. Right. So this is designed uh, or based on a sixth edition sort of tactica from the forums of a of a legend by the name of the Village Idiot, 
who went and won Charlotte Grand T- Tourney in like 2003. Uh, I have read this. Uh, I, I know this one. Yeah, it's um, interesting because he didn't. This is back in the day when events were not um, like just best general. It was like painting, sportsmanship, and I think he won like two, drew one, and lost two at the tourney. So really, nothing, nothing to write home about <laughs> games wise. But the list is uh, a general on foot, a captain on foot, with being the battle standard bearer, a captain on a griffin. Uh, a wizard lord, and then three massive blocks of state troops. I've got uh, 25 veterans with halberds, 25 reg- regular state troops, and 25 more regular state troops. They all have a detachment of 10 free company. Uh, I've got some handgunners in there just for fun. Two units of uh, two demigriffs, and then two cannons. So pretty mixed arms force. And the... Um, I'm, the reason that this is ex- <laughs> the reason this is exciting to me is is mostly fluff wise. Uh, I just love the idea of, uh, I, or I am in love with the idea of the men of the empire just resisting against all odds. Um, but it's also just a bit of a test to see if the static combat res approach can have any sort of modicum of success because rank bonuses have gone down, but having big unit like. In the veterans, we've got the um, Griffin standard, which will double your rank bonus. And then trying to make sure all those blocks don't run away. So using the Empire Heroes ability to, I think it's auto auto pass panic tests. And then the Imperial banner on the BSB, which uh, lets you roll 3d6 on fear, panic, and terror. Uh, And then getting the re-roll from BSB itself. trying to make them stick around a wizard in there for for various buffs demonologies by consensus one of the one of the better laws especially if you've got big units of 25 dudes to chuck your buffs on uh and then usually the village idiot takes a couple of units of knights or or a unit of knights per um per state troop sort of block but demigriffs they're just, just better, better. <laughs> uh, and they didn't exist back in 6th edition so yeah and hand, handguns to, to kill some chaff I mean it's listen it's not a world beater but uh, I, if I can if it is viable I'll be very happy uh, using the d- detachment rules to my benefit etc now have you looked at page 336 of the rule book which I'll read it out magic items there's these things you can take and they're like upgrades, right? And they make your stuff better. Magic items. No, no. Are you kidding me? Magic items. Why? What self-respecting general of the empire doesn't at least have, I don't know, a rune fang in his pocket. No, that's too many points. Um, Oh, yeah, no, cheap and cheerful. Um, uh, all your Empire heroes are going to die anyway, so keep them as cheap as you can. I did give my general the Talisman of Protection for a five award, but it didn't come through in the list I sent you. Oh, okay. Well, that would- it was like a... Yeah, the banner didn't show up as well either. But yeah, other than other than Talisman of Protection and some, some fancy flags, cheap and cheerful. I Just trying to think you're absolutely numbers, right? You're absolutely sleeping on the laurels of victory for that, Griffin. Every wound that you do counts for two for combat oh. res. Um, oh, any of those... I was looking at the 
the laurels actually, but I I, I, I erred on the side of achievement cheerful. Oh yeah, I chuck chuck them in there. I think I've got. I would just get rid of what I don't know. The talisman of protection or something. Laurels are only forty points. Yeah, in terms of the, the trying to win the combat res without actually having to kill stuff. <laughs> Super helpful. I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna face something like this, so we'll we'll see. We'll see how quickly you can take it apart. I can't wait to show you my list because mine is literally the opposite of what you're doing here. So we'll we'll get to that in a minute. But <laughs> days was the opposite. Talk, well, it's it's probably the opposite point of a triangle at this point. But talk me through demonology because you you mentioned that that's one of sort of the go to laws, and it's something I identified as well. Like I read through it, and like every I think every spell in there is pretty good. But to, like talk me through it. What do you like about it in this list? Um, so demonology has the magic missile signature spell. What's it called? Um, the summoning. 18 inch range, 2d6 strength 4 AP minus 1 hits, which is great just to like have if, if you roll something that you don't want to use. Like it's always going to be useful. Magic missiles are great. But with the level 4 taking that, I'm really hoping to roll up some of the, um, the big buffs uh, or debuffs as well. So Hex, which is the second spell, is a neg 2 initiative and neg 2 leadership and the, the enemy unit can't use the general's inspiring presence. So in terms of getting uh, like relatively useless troops to actually win combat, uh, stuff like this is, is super important. The other one is I think a buff, which is, um, oh, there's a, there's a bunch of good spells in here. Yeah, so that hex is the big one. I feel like my, um, debuffs to leadership are huge and then combine that with Terra from the Griffin or whatever else you can like suddenly your leadership nine elf dude is is testing on a six like that's uh pretty horrific but um the enchantment another big triple triple whammy there's plus one strength plus one attack and plus one AP on a unit uh so if I you know the veterans for example like use drilled to widen their frontage to match the enemy. And then suddenly all the hellbirds have got two attacks on troops that cost like seven points each. Um, and then there's what, there's another good enchantment, which is plus one movement, toughness and initiative. So the, the yeah, the, the buffs and debuffs is what I'm after with demonology for sure. The empire army I was playing against yesterday was running demonology on a level two and had the, the, the signature magic missile, which is, the best signature in the game, probably. Um, and also had his Demonic Vigor, number six, which is plus one movement, toughness, and initiative. Exceptional buff. They are really good, but I would say the fact that you can't cast enchantments into an ongoing combat is... Yeah. They're really good, but they're you need to be very well planned out to actually make them pay off. Because if you get got by an enemy's charge your mage is not contributing to to that combat basically but yeah yeah i guess and i guess it relies on setting the first one up and then from what i gather and tell me if this is completely out of like left of field and wrong but with the new the way break tests work now there's an opportunity to take leadership tests and not be in combat right so if you win a combat in your opponent's turn 
then you can cast your enchantments and then charge again the next turn. If if you if you win the combat, yeah, you can choose not yeah. to follow up. But if you win the combat, you probably don't need the enchantment in the first place. Um, the circumstance where you need yeah, the enchantment fair. is when you're either going to give ground and then the opponent can push into you, or you'll fall back in yeah. good order and the opponent will follow up and count as charging again. Um, so you're right in that the combats are not as static as they used to be, but. I mean, I, we found the demonic figure was really good. I mean, a plus one initiative made a massive difference for for his oh, units. Oh, really? Um, yeah, the initiative points. There's these really big inflection points where you get to attack yeah. or not, especially against elves. So the right plus one initiative is really fantastic, actually, for humans. But because spears, it, it, when you get charged, give you the plus one. So mm. I've I've been looking at that because there's always the conversation of what loadout of state troops is best. Uh, yeah. So spears might be worth looking into. Even at like the base level, if you think about initiative four versus initiative five. Initiative four, if you get charged by a unit with great weapons, you're both going to be initiative four. If you're initiative five, even if a great weapon unit charges you, you're still going to have that much, that much more initiative. So that that's taking out taking out all of the initiatives of different troops. That's only looking at your own initiative of your own army and going, if I can get stuff to five, a great weapon strikes after me. And that's kind of like a blanket roll, unless it's in the flank. But a great weapon unit in your flank, you're you're in trouble anyway. But yeah, at a base level, think about it. I'm initiative five or more. I'm going to strike before a great weapon unit. And you do have to worry about those units with great weapons because great weapons traditionally have been one of the, the more scary things on a battlefield. Yeah, right. Interesting. But yeah, with, with right, zero uh, experience in so far, yeah. Move it on. Yeah. So I'm going to throw throw to my list because I think it's a good uh, contrast point to your one and probably to Dave's one. So I've got a beast list. Now, I've been playing playing around with some Tomb King lists and some Chaos lists, and I, I wrote a Chaos Dragon list, which I nearly featured today, but I wanted to go run with this list because this takes me back to something we saw a bit in 6th and 7th edition, not so much in 8th edition, of, of these really sort of army list with heaps and heaps of units. And this one, not so much, not, not really heaps and heaps of models, but heaps and heaps of small units. It's it's much like Danny. I haven't read the magic item section particularly well. There's not a lot of magic items in here. Waste of points. And, and, and that's, and but that's exactly why. It's, it's not spending a lot of um, my points on characters and trying to just get as many units and troops in to control the board and, and use the the sort of the movement phase to my advantage to get to get good charges off and in a straight up fight none of my units are winning a combat but if i can get flank charges off if i can get multiple units charging in there that's what it'll do so i'll go through the list so i've got a beast lord it's a beast of uh beastman bray herds i think is the the term nowadays but i've got a beast lord he simply has a great weapon heavy armor shield and the rune of the beast ascendant which is plus one leadership for the general for like beast units so that puts him up to leadership nine because leadership is going to be really important for me because i'm going to be taking panic tests i then have a war gore. he has a battle standard he's got a great weapon heavy armor shield that's it i've got a great bray shaman uh, again on demonology again there's no uh, equipment there my core is four tusk or chariots individual units four units of 10 gore two of them are ambushes they've just got additional hand weapons that's it so they're putting out two attacks each 
they're looking to just uh, run around and, and you know, they're 70 or 80 points, so they're just nuisance value, right? Uh, three units of five Warhounds, two of them have got Vanguard. Uh, a unit of 10 Bestigor. Um, again, they're coming in pretty cheap. Then two Dragon Ogres with great weapons, two more Dragon Ogres with great weapons, three Minotaurs with great weapons, three Minotaurs with great weapons, three Minotaurs with great weapons, and Ambush. So I've got like 18 units or something like that total. 17 or 18 units. It's heaps. There's heaps of units. There's some threats there that like individually, if they go front to front, they're not really that much of a threat, but you're going to have to factor in that there's just so much stuff on the board running around. I'm going to be trying to get flank charges. I'm going to be fleeing from charges a lot and just trying to rally and, and, and not give up points because nothing's really worth anything. I think the most expensive... The most expensive unit I've got is the Great Bray Shaman at 180. But the next one from that, let's say non-character unit, I think the most expensive I've got is like 160 points for a unit of Minotaurs. Why the units of two Dragon Ogres rather than four units of one? Uh, I want them to be able to break ranks. Right, so it's the, it's the, combat, the unit strength for flanking. Yeah, exactly. So uh, mm. a unit of one can't break ranks. And I think a unit of one in close order doesn't get the close order combat res bonus. No, only monsters yeah, and chariots. Correct. So units of two will get that bonus. So yeah, like a unit of two dragon ogres going in your flank, like you're, you're going to be hard pressed with your flanking attacks to kill a whole dragon ogre. So you're probably losing your ranks. They're getting in combat res. They're going to do some damage. So yeah, that's... But it's still cheap enough. Like normally, I'm used to units of three, right? But... At 126 points, I think two is a great, great little unit. I think the uh, the stacking of close order combat bonuses is going to be really helpful for this kind of list as well. Uh, a lot of the time, you might get in trouble getting just out static res, uh, especially against like weapon skill four. The dragon ogres can easily fluff a round of combat, but once you start having a couple of points of static combat resolution yourself from you know, a chariot and a unit of dragon ogres teaming up then you're going to start pretty quickly. It's just going to come down to models killed, and your list is, looks pretty well geared to kill a lot of models. Yeah, that's definitely the theory, and, and it's just trying to come at you from a few different angles. Like, what have I got? As far as ambushes go, there's two two gore herd units, and the minotaurs are going to be coming on from potentially behind your army. So you've got to think about that. Danny, how do you think this plays out against an army like yours? Because like, this is why I wanted to contrast it, right? We've gone very similar with our characters in that we've got some cheaper characters and then gone you know, heavy on the units. Your model count's probably a bit higher than mine, but my unit count's probably uh, pips yours by a fair bit. Yeah, well, it, uh, it's... I think... Listen, who's the general? If it's me versus you, then... Game over turn two, <laughs> I concede. Um, but I, I can see a um, couple of things. How many cannonballs can you catch with like the most important stuff? There's always uh, a question to ask. And then if like, I think it's fragile. I think, I think it's like, if you play it right with this list, like, and your positioning and your timing is on point. 
then it's probably a pretty easy wipe, but you can also lose stuff pretty quickly. Like, like you said, you're going to be worried about panic. And then also anything that like, if you don't manage to get the flank, disrupt the ranks and you get countercharged, like you're just going to lose a unit and yes. then be out of yep. position. Yep. So it's like, I feel like it's high risk, high reward riding a little knife's edge there. I think the demigriffs could also but be then a also real hassle, you- like for your for this list, Nick, because you're basically relying on great weapon troops. So at best, you're striking at the same time as the demigriff, um, and yep. they are going to absolutely tear holes through everything. I mean, even the dragon ogres are not going to stand up to a demigriff charge. Yeah, that's well, a fair do, shout. Do you use them in the in the game that you had, Dave? Yeah, I used them. They, they were very good, but the, the the list I was running yesterday for the Wood Elves had three units of two Treekin, which the Demigriff comfortably mm-hmm. destroy. They win, right? right. But the Treekin, because they're toughness five, five up armor save, five up regen, and stubborn, they don't break a unit. So that the Demigriff go in, yeah. kill one of the Treekin, great they're going to do that again next round um yeah. and then i've got time to move around and flank charge them yes, with another unit and so that they the demigriff were the best thing in the in the empire army yesterday but i think stubborn on units, paper it looks like that's the case they just yeah. are in that list of units you got there as empire an empire player <laughs> that's yeah that's the, that's the one i think stubborn units are pretty hard hard to deal with actually in this game because they just automatically pass one one test a game um, that's usually enough yeah. they always have been right it's just a, a, a kind of a facet of Warhammer that's always been there is that those stubborn units that you can't break easily sometimes are very difficult it, it is all there's an extra level of reliability now right they can't stick around forever so you don't having a massive unit of stubborn doesn't do the same thing but it does now just mean like you automatically pass if you're going to charge my two man unit of Treekin with the champion in the front for example, one one rank of one file of two ranks. Um, I am going to be there next round. You are not going to kill me, and then you're going to get flanked. Um, so the yeah, there's. I, I think that the, the the stubborn is less of a problem, and it's not going to be game breaking massive blocks, but it is just a very reliable thing to be able to to trot out when you need it to. Hang on, is it blanket a blanket pass? I thought it was. Conditional. I, I can't remember exactly the exact wording, but I thought it was like if if Let you me. are going to fall back in good order, then you can choose to give ground instead. But if you're just broken, you Let break. Me double check. I might have right. been playing that I'm, wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty the sure the stubborn test. rules are now that you, when you first take a break test, you can choose to instead of rolling the dice, uh, fall back in good order instead. So you do give yeah. a bit more ground, but you don't. Well, not to confuse that with the give ground rule, uh, you do move back a bit further, um, <clears throat> and that's going to be a bit random. But you just don't have to roll dice, and so oh uh, yeah, uh, it's super You're reliable. Right. But it's only the first time, and you can't kind of choose to hold on to it for a, another point in the battle either. Uh, you, it's just on the first test you take, you've got the option of using it. I can't imagine that you wouldn't, unless you desperately need to only go back a couple of inches. 
but yeah. also imp- importantly, it works if, if you're double if you're outnumbered two to one still. So yes, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, okay. Like like Chris says, it's it's not going to keep you going forever, and you do fall back in good order, but you're you're not going anywhere, and fall back in good order is not that first time. Yeah, it's only d six inches back. You 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 could still be right in front of them, and then they don't. They might be able to charge you, but they're not going to get initiative bonuses and things like that for, for yep. much. Yep. Yeah, for a one-inch charge, I hear. A question so Dave, you touched on something. Oh, yeah, yeah go, Chris. Um, we, we were saying that we think uh, big flying monsters might be a little ubiquitous, and we've certainly seen that in the first two lists. How does your list that doesn't like taking terror and panic tests has a lot of skirmishes that can be used potentially for tactical wheels and some units that are immune to psych so can't flee as a charge reaction. How are you going to handle a giant forest dragon or griffins and things like that? Possibly badly. (laughs) Um, Like the theory behind it would be that there's only so many units that 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 600 point model, like it's only going to be able to declare so many charges in a given game and catch up with, with so many units. So at a base level, it's like, well, it can only charge that many times. It can only hit that many units. Most of my units are cheap. Is it going to be able to get its points back? Depending on depending on the unit, you know, it might not like three Minotaurs with great weapons coming into its flank or something like that if it gets caught out of position a little bit. So there's there's a few different sort of considerations there. One of the things, and I'm just kind of looking through uh, the list to make sure I'm not completely wrong in what I'm saying, but I think there's quite a lot of Mark of Chaos Undivided in this list. So, looking through, yeah, like the Minotaurs have Undivided, the Gore Herds have Undivided, like pretty much everything in this list has the Mark of Chaos Undivided, which means I'm getting rerolls on a lot of those checks. Which is which is pretty important. So particularly panic checks and stuff like that. Like I'm going to be taking a million panic checks a game because every every time you shoot at a unit, you're going to shoot enough stuff to cause a panic test probably. So having that cheap leadership nine general, lots of rerolls with undivided. That's like that's the theory. Um, whether it whether it works in practice, I, I'm not sure. One thing I did identify and Dave touched on it before we move on is the the having champions in a unit. So. Dave, I meant to look this up. If if is it like it used to be? Whereas if I've got a champion in a unit and you can only attack that champion, you you can only allocate those wounds to that champion. Is that correct? That that was my reading of it, but the champion has to be in the middle of the unit. So for rank and file units, that's not really an issue anymore, unless you're only four wide. But if you're yeah, so a really small unit. Thinking, that can yeah. be an issue. And that's what I've been thinking with these Dragon Ogre units. Like for six or seven points, they get a Dragon Ogre Shah attack. Suddenly, instead, they've got four wounds each, right? So you've got, if you normally if you take four wounds, bang, you've lost a Dragon Ogre. But if, if 50% of the, the unit is a champion, so you're going to have to, uh, opponents are going to have to divide attacks, you've potentially got a game state where you've taken six wounds on that unit and you still have two living Dragon Ogres. So these medium base units with larger to medium base units with two or three models in it the champion can make a huge difference and compared to eighth edition they've dropped the points on these champions you know six or seven points to potentially get essentially two extra wounds on your dragon unit is massive plus the extra attack 
Yeah, and, and the champ, the, the Shartaks, the, they're about the same cost as champions for like a Glade Guard unit. Which yeah, exactly. The, the benefit that you get from them in those multi wound units is just massively more. Um, yeah, I think I think it's a great a great option actually. All right, let's throw to the egg the finalist for today. Take us through this uh, spicy pile. All right, so uh, a bit unlike the uh, other lists we've looked at, this is possibly going to work very differently uh, depending on how some uh, some of the rules get clarified. There's some issues potentially with how random movers work and interact with some of the other wacky things I've put into the list. Uh, so I'll try to point Sorry, that out as is, we go this... through. <laughs> This is classic Cousins. In the same way that Dave's list was classic Dave, this is classic Cousins. The rules have been out for a day. We've got no FAQ or anything yet. And he's just like, "What can I? how can I break this game? <laughs> uh, With the first list that you publicly post on the internet. Well, what, so what does I, it do? What, what breaks the game here? Uh, well, we'll see how uh, exactly, how, if at all, it, it breaks things. I also want to, uh, again, very publicly, say that this list is not like entirely... Uh, not something I've come up with myself. I got the core of this from a really good battle report on the, I think it was the Play On Tabletop channel. Uh, Jaden had a goblin army that I borrowed a load of ideas from for this. So uh, the, the like the genesis for this idea is definitely his. Uh, the Basically, it's an Orkin goblin army and I'm trying to do weird things with magic and random movers and create a really dynamic and difficult to deal with uh, array of threats. We start out with a goblin level four wizard on a uh, an Arachnorok spider. Uh, this I think is a really good unit. It doesn't fly, but it ignores cover and has swift stride, so it's basically a flying monster. Uh, and if you really need it to be a flying monster, uh, you can cast Hand of Gork on it. Just pick it up and put it down two d six inches away. Uh, the Wa spell law I think is really good. It's been a little bit overlooked is my guess because most people who aren't looking at orcs and goblins just aren't paying it a lot of attention. It's got some really good debuffs and it's also got some very good enchantments that can be cast on the uh, the caster themselves, which means that even once your spider is stuck in combat, you can still cast the spells on it. And if it's a general, which this one isn't, your buff spells have an 18-inch command range. So you can hit like a, an 18-inch radius around your spider with some really high impact uh, enchantment spells. Uh, we've got a ward save on it because you have 10 wounds, you'll be in combat. Uh, really effect, like points efficient way to spend 30 points to get a five plus ward save for a 10 wound monster. <clears throat> and the Buzzgob's Nobbly Staff to re-roll your uh, casting rolls. Uh, we've got a second level four in the list as well. We're gonna be casting lots of spells at really high values. Double this, level four. Yeah, uh, the second level four is going to be the general, and this is another one where we're going to need some clarification on exactly how things work. Uh, the the orc level four has the warband special rule, so uh, gets its leadership increased by the rank bonus of its unit. It's then the general, so it will go up to probably leadership ten, and then have a ten inch leadership bubble, which will then capture the spider on the like the level four of the Arachnorok in that, which then gives it leadership 10, which might then affect the command range on the Arachnorok. So then you've got a 10 inch bubble from that. 
I, I don't know exactly how these rules will cascade, but there's a potential for some uh, some pretty strong synergies there. Just a quick correction there, Chris. Generals and BSBs always have a command range of 12, if unless the, it would have been bigger from a large target. So he, he will have 12, not 10. Uh, yes, but once the, uh, the... It's the second level four, the goblin... Uh, one will then get uh, potentially go from leadership seven to leadership ten and 10. buff that command yeah. range up by a little bit. Maybe they might yeah. uh, tell us that that's not how it works. The, uh, but the, the second the, level the go- four's got gone. Does, doesn't the doesn't the the goblin who's on the the Arachnorok have an eighteen inch command range? Because a large. I, I think that only gets increased if they're your general from reading through things. Oh, okay. Um, right. So your a general on a large target gets the eighteen inch. A non-general on a large target, I'm not sure if it goes up. Um, yeah, we'll we'll find out. Uh, we've got Battle Magic on the Orc level four, uh, and he's got the Law Familiar to pick the spells for a couple of reasons. Uh, I don't, I'm not super across all of the Battle Magic spells, but there are two that I think this list will really love. One of them is Fireball. We've also got the Ruby Ring of Ruin to do double Fireballs, especially when we're out of Dispel range in the first couple of turns. Just burn down people's skirmishes, their deepwood scouts, uh, their glade guard, their glade riders, uh, basically all of those uh, annoying wood elf units that the Dave wants to take. Ring of Ruin. It's a, that's a power level two. Yep. Uh, so it's not so always going to dispel. Off. Just gets rid of it every every turn. I was so no, no. sad about that. No, no, it's a power level two, as in two d six plus two. What? Yeah, bounce yeah, spells. So bounce spells. Now. Yeah, the power level on a bound spell is its power level plus 2d6. So pretend like the power level is the wizard level of the caster. So, oh, so you still roll for it. Yeah, so a casket of souls is power level 3. It's 2d6 plus 3. So it's not like Fated Dispel. I love the ruby ring. I love it. <laughs> it's I so love good. the ruby ring. It's, it's back, g- baby. It's going to be everywhere. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. And, and especially so- because Dispel range is limited, if you can uh, get your uh, wizard with your magic missiles out of 18 inch range of your opponents like level twos that are set up to dispel uh, they just they've only got one crack at stopping it without any bonuses um the other spell how many points is it 30 it's pretty good uh the other thing that uh, the other spell i really want to try in this setup is arcane urgency so this is a conveyance spell that lets you move a unit a second time uh, normally that's not going to be able to charge because you move that unit the second time in the remaining moves part of the turn where you don't have a chance to charge anymore. But we've got a bunch of random movers in this list. Uh, we'll get to them in a minute. There's a big boss on a giant cave squeak, a unit of squeak hoppers, and a mangler squeak. And when you make a unit of random movers move, they don't have to declare charges. So maybe they can arcane urgency into combat especially for the uh, the squeak hoppers and the cave squeak they're skirmishes so they've got a 360 degree uh, thing so you can move 3d6 and then arcane urgency them another 3d6 into the rear of people's units maybe uh, depending on exactly how you read the rules they uh, Day one, and you've already found the game-breaking magic charge. I love it. <laughs> I, and, and the problem is, uh, possibly, there's in the rules for random movers, it says that they count as charging if they engage a unit in the compulsory moves phase or when pursuing. So rules as written, it's, it, you might say you can't engage outside of those times. 
but it also seems kind of weird and there's some other weird rules as written stuff uh, skirmish uh, random move you don't pick a direction anymore you move them like a normal unit uh, which means that you could start in someone's front rank roll up your 3d6 and then move past the unit turn around and then engage them in the flank do like a big hook turn and flank charge things when you start in front of them uh, rules as written that seems to be how it works that doesn't seem very good to me uh, but then rules as written you can't get the magic charge that also doesn't sound like kind of consistent across things to me so we're just going to have to wait for some clarifications to clear up this stuff uh, but at least at face value you can do some real shenanigans here uh, we've also got a bsb uh, the aforementioned uh, cave squeak rider with wallopers one hit wonder just for uh, when you do some shenanigan to get him into something big uh, give it a bop a couple of units of frenzied orcs and then a unit of not frenzied orcs the not frenzied orcs are where your characters are mostly going to hang out especially the level four to get both the rank bonus to the leadership for the general but then also uh to get a bonus to his casting uh, arcane urgency is on a 10 i think so you're getting like plus five to your casting role for your orc level four when he's in a big unit uh we've got some wolf riders just for chaff they've got impetuous so they'll often charge when you don't want them to but got to spend core points on something uh seven <laughs> squeak hoppers uh, again, random move shenanigans, but they also do a lot of attacks at really high strength. And this army is full of glass cannons. So the idea is we've got lots of them, but some of them will actually get there. And speaking of glass cannons, we've got two units of five orc boar boys with frenzy. Uh, they also have furious charge and counter charge. So you get to roll a bunch of high, like pretty high quality dice with them. But also there's five of them and they've got a like six up armor, six up ward. So they're getting side down by shooting. Uh, then we rounded off with a boar chariot and a mangler squig. Uh, mangler squig again, more shenanigans with the movement. But unlike the others, this isn't a skirmisher, so you actually have to like wheel and stuff when you're moving it, from what I can tell. Uh, also, you don't have to pick a direction first, so you can roll your distance and then decide how you want to spend it for your move. Uh, just a whole lot of weirdness. But the idea is we've got loads of threats and then some really high quality magic that can both do some big buff spells to improve things uh, some really key debuff spells goblins especially have an excellent signature spell to remove i think it's uh weapon skill and initiative but then the wild law has a second spell that debuffs initiative and something else so you can uh, do some great spells to uh, positively affect these really high impact units uh, plus the movement shenanigans but there's not a lot of uh not a lot of backbone to the army. It It's very... Uh, it stuff is a bit flimsy individually, a bit like Nick's list, but hopefully we've got enough shenanigans to make up for that. Shenanigans central. <laughs> I just looked up Wallopers One Hit Wonder. Mm -hmm. um, that's a phenomenal magic item. <laughs> for those of you not across it, it's a one-use uh, weapon, which at only all other times just counts as a regular weapon. But in the one phase that you choose to use it, you have strength 10 AP 3 <laughs> mm -hmm. with your regular number of attacks, which is crazy. Although, very sad if you chose to activate Wallopers One Hit Wonder and Dave said no thank you with his dragon. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so the, uh, 
it, yeah, like I, I think the Night Goblin Big Boss is really cool because you can hit it with uh, Arcane Urgency and Hand of Mork. So you have a couple of different ways to move it out of sequence. Uh, but yeah, especially the getting the teleport move on the spider as well for redeploying it and changing uh, the way it's facing is also going to be great. Uh, and I, I guess I'm really excited to see how it plays out because there's a lot of moving parts that I don't quite understand but it, it's also just going to be really hard to engage like you you might think oh i'm going to try to frenzy bait those uh those frenzied boar boys you know, just sit within the their maximum charge range the problem with that is uh because they've all got warband they get to re-roll their charge distance and you can put up a giant um uh, area of effect buff with uh, here we go to get another d3 inches onto your charge so if someone's trying to you know uh, annoy you with just stepping inside charge ranges you're actually just going to make that charge well over half the time if you put up the uh, the movement buff so it's really hard to get into range of this list because we've got giant charge ranges and 3d6 movement on all those uh, random movers that yeah you're just going to get uh, charged when you're not expecting it all over the shop and getting charged is not what you want to happen i think in this game in general but especially not against Things like the Frenzy Boar Boys. This is the kind of list, it just looks like an absolute pile. Like, uh, you look at it and you're like, ah, oh, it's a Boar Boys, there's some characters, there's a spider. Like, there's nothing, there's no, like, consistent theme to it. But it's the kind of complete pile that will just, like, particularly with a good player, it's just going to take you apart on the, on the table right like you're just gonna you're not gonna really expect it and it's just gonna absolutely ruin you because you're gonna be doing all this stuff and uh, your opponent's just gonna be sitting there going like what is, what on earth is going on two level fours i wonder how much of a thing that's gonna be in the game it, parts of eight there particularly uh, a few of us played etc warhammer and two two level fours was pretty common there for the spell variety but like two level fours back then it didn't really cast many more spells you just got better spells whereas now you're potentially casting twice as many spells a turn it'll be interesting to see you know i see lists without any magic i see lists with a single level four or a single level two and then potentially there's these lists with two level fours dave where do you think it's going to land with the, with the magic I, I'm really curious to see it play out more. I think War Magic is not too bad because it actually has a lot of spells that are like range 15 to 20 um, and have a good chance of actually being able to use those spells. And Chris is using Battle Magic and choosing the spells so he can choose ones that go off. I think the two level fours risk having about six spells that they can't cast every turn in a way that's useful um, just because lots of them have not all of them, you know, demonology is pretty flexible, right? But but lots of the other ones have a bunch of spells that are range self, for example, um, that are pretty hard to get to work unless you're designing very specifically for it. So I'm keen to see how it goes with the way on the table, basically. But because, you know, if you look at something like Battle Magic, Hammerhand, the, the signature spell is Assailment, it's range self. Um, you've then got... Uh, Curse of Cowardly, which is 15 range, Oaken Shield, range self. Then you've got Magic Vortex, range 12. Curse of Arrow Attraction and Fireball are a bit better. But, you know, you could easily end up in a scenario where, with the restrictions on how you can cast, casting within your arc, casting the range, the blocking line of sight as well, 
I don't know. I think people might be too optimistic about what they're going to get off with all all of their, yeah. their things. I think Chris's Chris's list <laughs> three sixty degree view on the Arachnorock Spider yeah. choosing the spells for battle magic gets around that, but I think is the magic matter. I think is going to be super interesting. Yeah, like where where people land in terms of what wizards and and where. Yeah, I think honestly, also, where the magic meta ends up, where the initiative meta ends up, there's a few things like that. It's going to have a, a big, mm. a big factor on list building, is is what people are using in your meta. I mean, it always does, but that thought, thinking about initiative, thinking about your, your how much magic you can get away with or, or not get away with, it's it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out when people play any games at all, or some, or more. I think more than zero. <laughs> the opportunity cost as well with level fours when you could instead be taking another combat character is going to yeah. be uh, a big thing. But some of your level fours can ride a giant spider, a manticore, sit in a chariot and get to be a combat threat as yep. well as have uh, potentially really griffin. helpful casting. Yeah. yeah so uh, lots, well, lots to experiment with. <laughs> All right, well, One thing those have been our, we... our lists. And I just want to... What? Yeah, go on, Dave. Just, just one thing before we move on. I'm, I'm really curious to see how Chris's list works as to whether he physically has the space on the table to use it all, because everything being on thirty mil bases, lots of skirmishes, yeah. lots of it's wide infantry blocks. I think there again. Let's see how this goes in the next couple of months. But I wonder whether lists like this are wanting to move about sixty centimeters of models into a twelve centimeter gap, and that terrain could be very challenging um, for that I'll let you know if my bases that I've ordered ever arrive <laughs> absolutely 30 mil bases are chonky I printed a few this week yeah. they're big <laughs> uh, Danny what's your favourite of the three that aren't yours oh uh, well even if it wasn't the four uh, there's so much fun stuff to be had I have a deep deep seated hatred for avoidance armies so it's gonna be it's gonna be chris's army all the way uh this looks like a lot of wacky fun it looks like it breaks rules in uh crazy ways and that like kind of is on brand for green skins like you know what i mean like yep. they yep. do stupid stuff uh i think that's really cool uh yeah second followed closely by the just spread out and have lots of stuff list nick um and i never ever ever want to play you dave i'm sorry Hashtag never the Wood Elves. Uh, Dave, you can't pick the Wood Elves either. What's your favourite? I think it's Danny's because it looks like a white dwarf army list. You know, it looks like a proper, <laughs> looks like a proper Warhammer list, doesn't it? Um, I'm, a I'm good and proper Warhammer list. That's gonna get steamrolled. But yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not baking on it, smashing many opponents. But I think it looks like Warhammer, uh, and so that, that's my favourite. <laughs> Fair enough, Chris. Yes. What's your favourite? Uh, I have a long history with forest dragons and uh, avoidance shooting, so I'm picking Dave's list definitely. It uh, it tickles my pickle. For, for me, it's Chris's. Nick, you can't it's, pick your own. You can't pick your own. No, nah, it's a, it's, not, it's definitely not mine. It's uh, it's Chris's for sure. This that list is sick. Um, all right. Well, thank you for to our audience for sitting through another episode of the Dwellers Below. Um, Hit us up in the comments. Uh, let us know what which one's your favourite and what kind of list are you um, thinking about running? Because we'd love to see him because Chris just copied his list off someone else anyway, so he just needs some more uh, material. And Dave needs to work out how many things he can shoot off and if it's uh, actually viable. 
I realized I made a massive mistake with my list just quickly before you finish. Um, and I am sorry to everyone. I didn't now, name my characters. Now re- oh, you didn't name okay. so. <laughs> had some error in the list. I'm like, we've just wrapped the recording, man. Yeah, I didn't name my characters. It's clearly not a one on my list yet. Yeah. All right. We've been the Dwellers Below. Thank you for watching or listening again. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. We've all got CanCon. Well, a few of us have got CanCon. Not the uh, the UK guys, but the uh, most of the Aussie crew are up at Canberra next weekend. So we, we might bring you some short-form content. We're definitely categorically not doing a mega cast because that was a mistake both times we did it. <laughs> and we might do some mini... We'll, do, we'll see if we do some short short content. But we've been the Dwellers Below. Thanks for listening. Don't fail your strength test. Don't fail your strength test. Almost. <laughs>